Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Kuehl Podcast. I am your host today, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl, once again testing out the video equipment. So if I sound distracted today, well, it's because I'm by myself. Alex decided to take the day off, but then again, we're recording this on a Friday afternoon because, well, I'm a little busy this weekend. I'm heading up with the wife up to see the family up in Glen Arbor, Michigan, which is a little west of Traverse City. And I guess the comparable way to say it is it's a very nice town right on the lake. The Sleeping Bear Dunes is where we'll be hanging out at. But of course, this is also a big show for us because this is our last Kuehl podcast episode before we turn it over to the Kuehl show when we go live on 12 Ounce Sports starting next week. 12OunceSportsRadio.com is where you'll find all of our content along with a lot of other great shows as well. We have a couple of big guests coming on, which we'll get to later on in the show when we start talking about our live format. But of course, with this show being on 12 Ounce Sports, today's episode is sponsored by MyBookie, mybookie.com. Bet on all sports, win and get paid big. Use the promo code 12 Ounce Sports and join for free today. Make sure you get involved with today's episode by using the hashtag The Cule Podcast, hashtag TKP. Tweet us at The Cule Show. Be sure to follow us, not just on Twitter, but Instagram, Facebook as well, both at The Cule Show, because we're really excited as we're just a few days away. The final preparations are in place, but we still have some news to talk about, even though I am recording this only a few days after we did our usual Tuesday episode with Alex, and we'll get to an interview with Kyle McKenna of the Hockey Writers just a little bit later on, because that's obviously a big deal for us, because we talk about the New Jersey Devils. In that, epi- in that interview, of course, Alex was there as well. First interview he has done in a pretty long time. I think we'd said it before is that we that was our last interview that we did with him was probably with our good friend Thomas Biondo when at the time he was a four-time guest, now a five-time guest here on the Kuehl podcast. But of course, with that, before we get to that, let's talk about the biggest news of the past couple of days. Yesterday, Daniel Carcillo files the class action lawsuit against the Canadian Hockey League, which has since then taken the game and the hockey world by storm. We'll get to a couple other things, obviously, with stage four of the NHL and the possible hub cities. But this right here is probably the biggest news of the last 48 hours, simply because of the fact that with the, I guess, the aura of the past whole calendar year for junior hockey has been quite interesting because there was the issue with the NH or the CHL in paying players, whether or not they should be considered employees to the hockey players, because should they be getting paid fairly? As right now, there's only a slight stipend for the CHL players, with obviously some of the bigger names getting a little bit more money than the little lesser-known players, your third, fourth liners, third-pairing defensemen, even your healthy scratches that get called up from either the you know junior A levels or junior B levels. But this obviously takes it into a humongous type of spectrum because Daniel Carcillo's class action lawsuit is not about how players get paid. It's not about how they are treated by the organizations as assets or, you know, sponsorships or stuff like that, agents. This is about locker room and team conduct. This is something that has been hinted at before, talked about, not really pursued. And Daniel Carcillo has been an advocate for the game. Whether or not you love him or you hate him, he has spoken his mind on what he thinks is wrong with hockey today, which is incredibly important because 
hockey's always been hush-hush with these issues. Of course, before the lockout, Rule 48 hits to the head. That was never talked about. It was almost if you got a concussion, you played through it. You were looked at as a warrior, a gladiator. Nowadays, the NHL is very protective on that sort of thing. That's because players started coming out with lawsuits against concussion protocol, which has obviously changed the game for the better. Daniel Carcillo was one of those players that was involved in that because you know his kind of role that he played. He was the tough guy. He was a good, skilled player in junior hockey, but when he came up to the NHL, he really had to find his way by using the physical play, both hitting, fighting. The man was suspended many a times. He's not necessarily an angel in the sport, but that said, he has had to stand up and say, hey, this is something that I really need to work on, and this is something the game needs to change for the better, and now with this, it takes it a step further. We are now, he has now been able to pull the curtain back and show what has happened. Now, if you remember back in 2005, I believe it was Steve Downey of the Windsor Spitfires going after Akeel Thomas. Now, if, or not, excuse me, not Akeel. I have to cut this out now. Steve Downey going after a certain player. Akeem Alou, for all those of you who remember, almost forgot his name. Akeem Alou for not participating in, I guess, hazing. Hazing is the word we have to use today. Whether, you know, obviously that word is in huge negative connotation, but it's definitely the word for hazing. Akeem Alou refusing to take part in that. And there, the video came out of Downey going after Alou in practice. And you know what? Alou, obviously not thinking he was in the wrong, which he wasn't because he did not want to partake in the in the rookie hazing and I'll be honest with you I have been a part of rookie hazing before now was it to the extent that I'm about to reveal here in the minute by the way the next couple of minutes of what I'm going to describe that part that part that persists excuse me to Carcillo's lawsuit is going to get graphic for some so if you want to skip ahead a half hour I would greatly encourage you if you're not able to handle with the very graphic content I'm about to get to here in the next few minutes. But I have never experienced what has happened to Carcillo and Akeem Alou. Now, the, some of the stories here are were reported before, but they were kind of left to the side because, you know, the players that were involved and the coaches that were involved, they were disciplined by the OHL, the Windsor Spitfires I'm talking about here. But now this is talking about other stories that are not just with that team. Of course, Carcillo played with Mississauga. He played around in the OHL for a little bit. He is not just talking about himself. This is also coming from other players. Now, certain players that have remained anonymous, excuse me, for the sake of this report, for the sake of their identity, it's true. Here are a few. I won't go through all of them. You can find the, the class action lawsuit online. I went through the hockey writers where a great man by the name of Ken Campbell put out the report of the title is called More Explosive and Shocking Allegations Against Junior Hockey in Newly Filed Lawsuit, obviously referring to Daniel Carcillo. Here are just a few of the stories or instances of abuse outlined by Carcillo. Number one, during showers, rookies were required to sit in the middle of the shower room in the nude while other players urinated, spat saliva, tobacco chew, and other foreign objects on them while they were in the shower. And the head coach of said team walked into the shower while this occurred, laughed, and walked out. And obviously, once again, some of these are from players, and these are stories. Now, who comes out and says what after this lawsuit comes through, and who actually has to testify? That is to be foreseen. We're with, like I said, we're only within the 36 hours of this report coming on through. Another one. 
Rookies were repetitively hit on the bare buttocks with a sawed-off goalie stick, so the paddle for, if you will, developing large welts and open sores. The injuries were so bad that they couldn't sit down even while attending local high school classes. You have to remember, folks, that these kids are kids in high school, 16, 17, 18-year-olds, kids that are still growing up. And they were advised, and they advised team staff of this abuse, which did not stop. On road trips, rookies would be stripped naked and sent into the bus bathroom eight at a time. The older play- and remember, this was actually one that was part of the Kimalu case in 2005. Older players would tape the boys' clothes up in a ball, which were thrown into the bathroom. The boys were not allowed out until they were dressed, which could take hours. Older players would pour chew, saliva, and urine on them through the bathroom vents. This took place in front of coaches and trainers. And if you've ever ridden a charter bus before, the bathroom in the back corner of the bus is very small. And nine times out of 10, smells. When we played at Davenport, we weren't able to use the bathroom. Why? Because, well, our coach sat next to it. And he didn't want to smell that the entire trip, which obviously makes a lot of sense. Rookies had to bob for apples and a cooler filled with the older players' urine, saliva, and other bodily fluids. Now, I could go into the rest of it, but it is a lot to take in and a lot of things that are incredibly, incredibly wrong. And it's... I never, I never understood the point of hazing. And now, yes, you say, oh, Tyler's because you're a rookie. Of course, you don't like me. Yes, but even when I, when I was a second-year guy, we literally made sure. I said, I remember we had a meeting of us veterans before the season. I remember talking to the guys. I'm like, why would we put them through something like that? Why would we put them through what we went through? Now, yes, you discipline them, make sure they clean the locker room and whatever, and make sure that you know they do their, you know, do their chores, if you will, quote unquote. But you don't punish them for being new. And you, you know, it's a great, a great example of this is Zidane Chara. I forget when the interview was. I think it was a couple seasons ago, but I remember vividly him talking to a couple of reporters. And they were talking about bringing rookies in and, you know, showing them the ropes. And he talked about how rookies are treated the same as the veterans. And everyone talks about how great teammate of a great of a teammate Patrice Bergeron is, how he's always picking up the pucks. Well, that's because it's not like it's a rookie duty with the Boston Bruins. They are inclusive for the entire group, whether your guy just getting called for Providence, a fresh draft pick, top to bottom, veteran to rookie, they're all treated the same. That's at the NHL level. Now you're looking at junior level, which ranges from 16 to 21 year old men. Obviously, adolescence is involved here. That said, though, how can you in good conscience, as a parent, a hockey parent, a friend, allow someone to go into this environment and expect them to get better? Now, yes, obviously, Daniel Carcel played many years ago in junior hockey. And you're asking, why does he talk about this now? Because when you're at that age, all you want to do is get to the NHL. You'll do anything, which includes receive all this abuse and then some. At that point, you're scared of losing an opportunity to play the game you love. That's why nobody speaks out about it. That's why Akeem Alou was such a big part back then and nowadays with the racial abuse in the game today because he was willing for a long time to just hold it in, but he says, now is the time for us to change, which is why Carcillo came out with this, and now he's like, we have to change now even earlier, not just at the NHL level, not just the professional level, at the junior level. This is incredible news that's coming out here, incredible reports coming out here regarding what this lawsuit will mean for the game. 
Now, this obviously coming around the same time that all the junior hockey leagues in CHL, Western Hockey League, Ontario Hockey League, and the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, they're all saying that they're going to start on time. There's going to be a heavy amount of scrutiny on these three leagues. Because now, once again, I'm not saying that each and every team in these three leagues does something like this, that abuses rookies like this. Each group is different. That said, there has got to be some way for players to step up and say, hey, maybe what we've been doing is wrong. There's got to be a core group that received that form of hazing and decide it's time to change instead of just continuing the cycle of abuse for these young players because it really turns off a lot of people to the game. If you're 16 years old and you're going in there and like all these things going on, having to bob for apples in urine and getting urinated on and stuff like that and having spit and tobacco thrown at you, a lot of people won't, ha- won't ha- care for that and they'll just leave. And deservedly so. Why would you want to go through that abuse? And I get it now. Everyone's like, oh, it's going to be the end of junior hockey as we know it. That's not necessarily the case. This is something that now the game will be like, hey, let's actually keep an eye on this for the betterment of the game. If you want to have players involved in hockey, you have to make the game appealing. Why do you think no, not many parents want their kids to play football? Because the big thing is concussions, injuries, all that stuff. And yes, hockey has the same kind of aspect, but they're trying to find ways to make the game safer. But how will you want your kid to play a game when you know when they become an older teenager as they start to grow into a man that they're going to receive abuse like this? You're not going to want your kid to get into a game like that. That's embarrassing. Not just for you to see that as because imagine coming home, have your kid come home for Christmas and him crying because something happened with a veteran that he was spanked with a goaltender paddle. I mean, why would you send him back? That's not fair to that kid to have to say, you got to keep going if you want to make the NHL. That's not a good precedent to set. And I get it. Hazing's been going on until the beginning of time. However, it's time to change that. This This is a perfect time to say something and try to fix the game, the game that I love, the game that we all love, for the better. There is no good reason that someone should go into a camp and think, all right, I just want to make the team. And then you make the team and you get and you pay for it. You pay pretty much to make the team emotionally and physically. It's not fair to them. And I commend Daniel Carcillo for coming out like this. And yes, I know there's a lot of people that have, you know, a little bit of grain of salt with Daniel Carcillo. However, if you've ever played the game of junior hockey, if you're telling me that now I'm not saying all of these actions are true. All these incidents are true, but there's not a single way that if you ever played junior hockey, played some college hockey that you don't look at this and think, man, I, there was something like that where I played, or I heard about something like that. It's time to make a change for that. And that's why I think this story coming out is imperative for the game to change for the better. Now, obviously it's early on. The report was just given out yesterday. The lawsuit was at least. Now we wait to see how the league reacts. It's right now. And obviously, I record this on Friday. I may do a little recording on Tuesday, the night we usually post the show. I do work that day, unfortunately, when I come back from Glen Arbor. So I may not have a whole lot of time. It may just come out like this. But I will hopefully be able to give a report on what the CHL's reaction to be. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, the CHL is not just going to come out and say something just to say something. They're going to make sure they calculate what what their response should be. 
Because any, I mean, shoot, you see with Gary Bettman, he's done a wonderful job during this pandemic of what to say and how to say it. The CHL is going to get all of their commissioners together from the three leagues, their board of governors, and they're going to think, okay, what is the best action to do now? Because there's a lot of smart people in there, despite what some people may think. They're going to definitely take this from all angles and make sure they give the proper response and take the proper steps in order to fix this. It's going to be an interesting time, I know. And I'm intrigued to see what the league does. But it's got to happen, and it's going to happen for the better. Now, moving on, a couple other things we're going to talk about. Obviously, on Tuesday, we talked about the Buffalo Sabres. Jason Botterill, the big head of the horse that was fired this past week. There are obviously a lot more people that were fired. Now, the big ones we talked about on Tuesday with Alex, Randy Sexton, Steve Greeley, the two assistant general managers, with Sexton being the GM for the Rochester Americans, the AHL affiliate to the Sabres. They were all fired. Ryan Jankowski, director of amateur scouting, he's gone. Then we also had Chris Taylor, head coach of the Americans, Gordon Neen, and Toby Peterson, the assistant coaches of Rochester, all of them fired. The official list has been given out today. Thank you to my good friends at World Hockey Report, also here on 12-Ounce Sports Network. You can catch them Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 9 a.m. local time, and they're in the Mountain Time Zone. The 22 names that were fired by Buffalo from Tuesday until, I guess, Wednesday morning, or if it just was not released late Tuesday night. Botterell, Sexton, Greeley, Jankowski, Taylor, Deneen, Peterson. That's just the beginning. Then you also have the assistant director of amateur scouting, Jeff Crisp, Corey Banica, Steve Cocker, Mark Ferner, Marcus Fingal, Scott Halpenny, Randy Hanch, Tom O'Connor, Ron Pyatt, Matt Tess, Tess, uh, Tiesling, I hope I say that right, Magnus Whelan, all amateur scouts, gone. John Van Boxmere, pro scout, gone. Chris Barch, player development, Mike Commissaric, player development, gone. Dennis Miller, rehab and development of the performance department. Not Dennis Miller, the awful comedian. Dennis Miller, rehab and development of player personnel for Buffalo Sabres, gone. This is not just firing the head coach. This is not firing the guy who determines who plays for the team. This is a full-scale dumpster fire here in Buffalo. They are taking every piece of trash out, throwing it out there, lighting the thing on fire, and chucking it into the ocean, hopefully that nothing else happens. This is a move by the Pagulas. And i sorry, I said Pagulas a lot on Tuesday. Pagulas, Terry and Kim Pagula, they have decided they want to start anew. And yes, we gave them a little bit of flack for them coming out and saying that this is not a rebuild. This is a rebuild, folks, because you just got rid of pretty much the majority of your management staff and then some. Who's left? Ralph Kruger, Jack Eichel, and Jeff Skinner? That's pretty much all you have left in terms of, I mean, I guess, actual personnel. You are going to have to build this brand new team. Now, yes, Kevin Adams was named general manager, your business guy. Now, yes, he is a hockey player, and we all know how good having hockey guys in the game are at times. This is something that's interesting because I want to see what Buffalo does now. If this is not a rebuild, which for all intents and purposes looks like one, if I if you can believe it, what makes the Pagulas think that this is not a rebuild? You're bringing a new general manager to bring in new teams. You're gonna, he's going to bring in a whole new staff of support, assistant general managers. He has to rebuild Kevin Adams, has to rebuild the scouting staff, not just the director of amateur scouting, but all of your scouts and your player development, which includes 
your Mike Thomas, Eric, Chris Barches, and all of your AHL coaching staff, and your rehab, your performance department, your player performance department, you have to fix. So where does this start? Is it Kevin Adams making these decisions? Or is it Pagula, both Terry and Kim sitting in his ear saying, you should do this, you should do that. It's too early to tell. And I'm glad I was able to have a chance this morning to listen to some of the 31 Thoughts podcast because they talked about Buffalo when the news first broke on Tuesday. And then Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick, good buddy Freach, they kind of got more into it with the full episode that came out yesterday. I am intrigued. I was, I was glad because I, I was intrigued in what Elliot had more to say about it because obviously the first report was just, you know, how bad the team was, what the Pagulas thought. Because remember how the Pagulas a few weeks ago, excuse me, a few months, or a couple, last month, excuse me, get my time frame all mixed up here, gave the vote of conference to Botterill. And Elliot Freeman reported that the reason why they gave a vote of confidence was because they thought the draft was going to be in June. Now, what makes the Pagulas think that, hey, we have a draft coming up, let's keep our general manager, who we do not like, to draft for one more year and hope for the best? What were they going to do? Fire the guy? I don't get it. What what makes them think that keeping him around for a draft, what, like this one draft was going to bring in the talent to save the day? That's Jack Eichel. They already have the guy that's supposed to save the day. This is obviously something that's been kind of brewing underneath and then fully came to fruition in the past couple of weeks. Had the draft stayed had the draft been in june would botterell still have a job would these 22 people still have a job i don't know but you would think that if you were going to get rid of your general manager you'd get rid of him before the draft long before the draft so they can you know whoever the new general manager is in this case kevin adams has enough time to prepare for the draft to actually bring in talent now kevin adams is sitting there on an island all by himself thinking all right uh shoot who do we got He's probably literally just going to draft off the off the off the NHL, you know, central scouting list and right, all right, who's best available? Number we're drafting fifth, so we'll pick that guy. Like you'll pick the top guy who's ever left and hope for the best. I'm like that's not a good strategy to have. And I'm not saying Kevin Adams is not a smart hockey guy. He's been with the Pagulas for an extremely long period of time. But he's never been a GM ever, never been an assistant GM, he's never been a GM of a junior team, never ran a hockey team. He's played for one, was part of a Stanley Cup champion. But what is the turnover here to make it think like he's going to turn this franchise into a winning team? Is it faith that Ralph Kruger can coach with this team now and they just hopefully fill in a few spots with some minor leaguers or some new guys they can pick up in the draft? I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to see what the movement is here because this is a team that is has talent goaltending a question mark but has talent to be a a good team they're always good for three months of the year we always joke that like i said it's the post christmas hangover that just hinders the sabers last couple of seasons they've been around the 500 mark but as we learn in today's nhl you can't be around the 500 mark to be a playoff contender so what does kevin adams do and I, I love how we talked with Jordan Deshane before all this. Jordan Deshane, of course, of the hockey writers covering the Buffalo Sabres because 
it's so interesting because we talked about how the team needs to change all this and that. And then clearly the Pagula said, you're right. Fire everybody. Because clearly the Terry and Kim Pagula, they're fans here of the Kuehl podcast, which, you know, I'll, I'll just, you know, believe in my own little world. But the Sabres have to do something. And they have to make moves quick because clearly we've learned with all this happening this past week that the Pagulas are not as patient as we thought. And I don't know if that spurns from the fans not being as patient as the Pagulas thought or the Pagulas are just sick of losing. I mean, the Bills starting to turn around a little bit. Penn State's still a good hockey team. I only say that because, you know, Pagulas, they have the name on the rink there at Penn State, but they want the Sabres to do well. But now they think that they're going to be good because they get rid of a bunch of people. I don't, I don't quite understand that. I get it that they want their team to be better, so you get rid of people that you think that are hindering the franchise, which is okay. That's how you rebuild. But to say that you're not rebuilding is just, to me, a little confusing. That I don't quite get. And I try my best on this show to think before what I say. Do you think that during that Zoom interview, that Zoom meeting or whatnot, that maybe they just didn't think about what they were going to say first? They thought, ah, who cares? Headlines. I mean, geez, I'll tell you right now, Buffalo is the most popular team in the NHL right now because of all this, so good for them. But that doesn't mean it's popular for the good. You know, popular like you're on YouTube and, you know, you see a guy, you know, take a video of some guy falling, skateboarding down a rail and falling on his groin. That guy's popular, but not in a good way. Buffalo Sabres. We're going to be popular now because we're nudes, we're headlines. It's because you fired everybody and you have nobody but a business manager as your general manager. Just saying, guys. This doesn't quite add up to me at this time. But, as always, I digress. If I were running an NHL team, the team would be folded in three years. We would last a little bit longer than the Kansas City Scouts, but we'd still be folding in a matter of time, or at least relocating to somewhere like Colorado, and then they go to New Jersey and become a dynasty for like five years, thanks to the one through one Anyways, with that, speaking of the Devils, that was a heck of a an non-attempt at a, at a segue transition, but a perfect transition to go to the interview we talked about we did on Tuesday with Kyle McKenna, McKenna of the New Jersey Devils, who covers the New Jersey Devils for the hockey writers. We'll be talking to him here in just a minute here, but when we come back here on the Kuehl Podcast, Kyle McKenna talking about the New Jersey Devils. You're listening to the Kuehl Podcast here on 12 Ounce Sports Network. All right, now joining us on the Kiel Podcast is a gentleman who covers the New Jersey Devils, but also covers the NHL for Elite Sports New York, fan-sided and hooked on Hockey Magazine. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Kyle McKenna. Hey! How you doing, Kyle? Good, good, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on. I'm I'm really excited, and I hope everything's been going well with you guys, too. We've been been doing okay. Alex has been annoying me, but that's (laughs) that's just another day. Yeah, it's definitely definitely a different uh, different kind of feel in this in this modern times, if you will. Well, it's a, it's June, and we're not talking about the Stanley Cup champions. I mean, Kyle. I mean, you covered the Devils. You know, twenty years ago, I can say that twenty years ago, they'd be talking about this time as the great years of the Devils. I know times have really changed, right? I mean, twenty years ago, it seemed like the Chicago Blackhawks were lucky if they made it over the first round. Now they've had three Stanley Cups and. 
in a decade as for the New Jersey Devils boys, I think one playoff appearance since 2012. Mm -hmm. So, you know, times have changed. Um, Hopefully the Devils are on the back end of something that seems like a very elongated rebuild. Um, But, you know, again, it was a tough year and it was surprising, I think, to a lot of fans because I think this team was marketed this past year to be a playoff contender. But I think the reality was that, you know, it just wasn't. Um, so I'm not sure. Were you guys expecting to be the Devils in the playoffs? Because I think they were, my first opinion was they're, they're a bubble team. And this is going back, you know, six or seven months ago. Yeah, I, th- I think as far as the Devils go, as obviously non-Devils fans are not really following them too in-depth uh, over the course of the season, they, they've been a team in a, in a franchise that they, they haven't been in ter- like terribly awful but they haven't been the greatest team. So they, like you said, they're, they're, they've kind of been a bubble team where, yes, you could see them making the playoffs. Do they go deep into, you know, maybe round one, round two? It's a toss-up in the air, but it's not really... It's kind of a guessing game for us, I would, I would say. I, I was almost certain that they were going to be close to a playoff spot. I almost had them in the same boat because I thought the Islanders were going to take a dip and the Flyers were going to be in the thick of it for that wild card. And then the Flyers and Devils just went in two completely different directions. Right. Yeah, yeah I mean, think about it. They, uh, I think New Jersey's won one playoff game since Martin Brodeur left. And it's not like Brodeur left two years ago. It's it, It's been a while. Um, but I just, for me... I didn't have the highest expectations for them. Um, you know, it's hard to really just turn around in, in one off season just because you got PK Subban and sign Wayne Simmons and drafted a, a young, this is a young 18 year old and, and Jack Hughes with the first overall pick. It's just, I found it just unrealistic and kind of, I believe too. And especially with questions in net, as I'm sure we'll get to, to later on entering the season, it was like, who's going to be a goalie. So Another, you know, a disappointing year, but as I said before, hopefully, you know, things are going to be looking up whenever they do get back to hockey. Right. And, and, you know, you you talk about, you know, trying to shake things up with getting PK Subban on the back end for, for you um, following the team as you do, you know, whether it be, you know, this year or maybe within the the cup past couple of recent years, what are some of the big uh, key issues that you've seen uh, surrounding the team? I would say lack of consistency um, and just kind of like a lack of experience. And by experience, I mean, there's no Justin Williams in the devil's lineup. You know, there's not a guy who can kind of do a little bit of everything, a guy who can, who can chip in and in overtime and possibly score the game winning goal, even though he's over the age of 35 or, you know, a guy who just knows what it's going to take to win and how to ride out a five-game winning streak. When they're out of the playoff picture now, like, hey, boys, like, where's the leadership? Like, we're on a five-game losing streak, and we've blown three third-period leads on home ice in, like, you know, consecutive games. So I don't think that's just by chance or bad luck. I would say not having that type of leadership is just something that was more than apparent this past year with New Jersey and Sometimes when you don't have leadership, you're going to have like those little intangibles that just kind of pop up, like the, the consist- consistency aspect. Um, I think depth on the on the blue line is an issue. Um, whether or not they can improve that, if they can add another defenseman or two, 
And I think if certain guys just have a lesser role, per se, like if they can rely on Dean and Severson less often, I think it benefits both sides, right? I think you'll just see, uh, you know, better overall overall performance from certain players up and down the lineup, too. It's not just Severson. I'm not just picking on him. But I just think there was a lack of experience and the consistency wasn't there. And I think they just relied on too many players who just shouldn't be relied upon and seeing that much ice time and that goes down the middle of the ice at the center position and it's on the wing. And like I said before, it's on the blue line and fortunate for New Jersey this year, it wasn't an issue in net as, as Blackie was, was a great surprise. But, you know, for me, it's, this was year five for, for Ray Shiro. So I think a lot of people are thinking, Hey, you know, we better start seeing some, some positive results. He had a lot of draft picks going back to 2015 and where I think everyone's still kind of waiting to see if, if some of those aspects are going to come to fruition. And of course, one of those draft picks, a guy you mentioned earlier was Jack Hughes. And I, I think, and it's unfortunate because he's going to play a Guinea pig in a very big, I don't say experiment, but there's going to be no more players coming out of the national development program, the national team development program here in the United States that will ever make the jump from that to the NHL because of, I think, the way Jack Hughes played. Because don't forget, there's guys, of course, his older brother Quinn played for the national team, but he went to Michigan. I mean, he's a guy that kind of just got thrown to the wolves for the most part because, you know, an 18-year-old, I don't want to say underdeveloped, but at least physically, he seemed like he wasn't ready to make that jump to the NHL. How do you think Jack played this season with the Devils? Yeah, I think that those are all great points, too. And I think those are all points that he would just have to acknowledge. I think there was a lot of pressure coming on a young gentleman who just, you know, physically wasn't developed. Sure, we can easily point that out when he's 5'10 and weighs 160 pounds after he just jumped in a pool. But just being around him, you could kind of tell he's he he's young, right? When you're you're around him and he's speaking and addressing the media, it's like, well, okay, this is this is kid. Like, this is a kid, like, fresh out of high school. So I think in comparison to to other number one overall picks in recent memory, and you brought up his brother Quinn, is just the lack of, lack of exposure that he had leading up to the NHL and to be successful in the NHL. You know, I think he played at one World Junior Championship. The World Championships, that's that's some good experience. It's, it's not the same. It's not at the same uh, magnitude in my opinion, as world junior, as someone who's going to go play in the OHL or the collegiate level, like a Quinn Hughes who had that experience, either it's just a year of playing college hockey. Um, so I think that was just apparent right off the bat with Jack Hughes was, yeah, he's not as big as Jack Eichel and some of these other guys, but I think it was just the lack of exposures and at that worldwide level or that very competitive level of that junior hockey from Canada or the collegiate level that just, really set him back. You know, I think that another year or two would have benefited him a lot more. And some people, you might want to call me crazy, but I think you guys might recall where I think the hockey news suggested where they're like, send Jack Hughes back to world. Like he could play in the world junior of 2020 and the devils decided not to put him back there. And which I understand it's like, well, he's in the NHL now. Like we don't want him to take a step back and go dominate you know, kids who are 18, 19, 20 years old again. But in my reality is, is his performance level was just that low. And his, I think his confidence level, whether he'll admit that or not, just from an outside observation, was that low where I almost felt like it was better for him to go back and just go play at World Junior to just regain some confidence. 
Yeah, and I mean, you know, when you're, when you're looking at, and, and I mean, you, you said it perfectly, he, he kind of really does seem like a kid, whether he's he's on the ice and you kind of compare him to some of the older players uh, when he's addressing the media, you know, 18 years old, and, and you think about, I mean, if you want to get all scientific about it, the, the human body, especially for males, doesn't finish developing until age 25. So if he even has, you know, like you said, a couple more years just to, you know, a develop physically on, you know, just, you know, growing and getting, gaining more muscle mass and becoming more, uh, I guess you could say dense in how, how much he actually weighs and not being, you know, a buck 50 buck 60, um, soaking wet. And, and then also being able to use that time to develop his game, whether, whether it be in world juniors or at the collegiate level or something where he's not being put up against quite literally the best talent in the world. I, I, th- I think you really bring up a great point in that he uh, he definitely could have used some extra time. And, and I wouldn't say, you know, he could have gone, you know, and, and spent some time in the AHL because when, when you put a player, especially, especially a younger and kind of a lightweight kind of player, and you put him in a situation where in the AHL, I would say a lot of the physicality of it is a lot harder because those players, those are the ones that are going up and they're trying to get that NHL spot. So if they have to get a little bit gritty about it, a lot more running around, they're willing to do so. Um, But you did bring up a a great name um, in that. um, I I would say, I would say spiel, but that wouldn't give true justice to the, the great points you had there. Mackenzie Blackwood um, in between the pipes, goaltending has been continuously a question mark for New Jersey. Um, throughout the the years past uh, the the I guess well, since lead, Marty yeah, since, since Marty I, w- yeah. I would say retirement but that obviously didn't work St. out St Louis <laughs> <Yeah>. hey <laughs> um, but with Mackenzie Blackwood do you think he's ready to make that jump into the full time um, starting position for the Devils Absolutely I think I think he already did you know I think he he proved that down the stretch before before the stoppage was here's a guy we were talking about lack of consistency before here's I think the only guy in the team that was consistent was probably Mackenzie Blackwood and Nico Heischer, which is a great sign. Cause if you want to be a playoff contending team, you're going to have to be deep down the middle of the ice at the center position. You're going to need a stud or two on the back end on the blue line. And then you need a stud goaltender. And I think Mackenzie Blackwood had little support this year and was making not only a big save after big save, but he made some timely saves. I think anytime you get a young goaltender who makes those timely saves, a guy like Matt Murray, that you know what I mean, that comes to mind, like that's when it's like, okay, this guy is he's ready to take that next step. He's ready to be a goaltender who can take us on a run if and when we do get to the Stanley Cup playoffs. So I think for me, Mackenzie Blackwood was he kind of just is like the trifecta. He was one of the biggest surprises. He's that good. And he's that good to the point where I'm pretty sure he was MVP and stole the spotlight from guys like even uh, Jack Hughes. And I know he sure was the all-star, but, you know, Grant and Mackenzie Blackwood had his final two months of the season and how well he performed earlier on. Blackwood probably would have been the devil's all-star earlier this year in St. Louis. Yeah, I remember when he played June, he was the Canadian world junior goaltender. And I remember he had a decent game. I think it was against Switzerland. I forget what tournament it was, like maybe the 2015 tournament. And the day after, it wasn't even a great performance either. The Devils signed him to his contract. And I'm like, really? That's that's their goaltender of the future? I'm like, okay. But he did play pretty well this year. And like you said, definitely has the tools to be a starting goaltender here in the NHL. But obviously, he needs help from in front of him. And the big name that the Devils got, as we mentioned before, P.K. Subban this year, 
And mm-hmm. I will tell you this. When his career is all said and done, he is going to be the next Don Cherry. He's got the media mogul savvy, everything. And, of course, he has Lindsey Vaughn with him, so he's got that going for him. I think he's set for life on that. But in terms of on the ice with P.K. Subban, are his best years behind him, would you say? Because it just looked like he's not that $9 million defenseman anymore. Yeah, his his best years are definitely behind him. And... You know, I, I do. I like P.K. Subban a lot. I always enjoyed watching him play, and I can't um, speak more highly about how much I, I do. I appreciate what he does within the community. Um, I just think he's a great ambassador for the game and now for, for the Devils and in this area. But his best years are behind him, and, you know, he's, yeah, he's about, I think this upcoming season is going to be his 10th full season in the NHL. And unfortunately, I think, and I can't speak on his behalf. And again, this is just an observation. You know, there maybe comes a time where is hockey his most important priority right now? You know, I just felt like I didn't see that same fire and that same willpower from P.K. Subban on the ice once the puck drops in between the whistle blows. You know, however you want to look at it, you know, it's great. He brought some energy to the Devils where before and after the game, I don't know, he's kind of doing like some sort of cool dance and like claps towards the fans. And yeah, he brings a lot of charisma, which is great. You kind of need that in the locker room. But I think from just watching him play, it was just like, it wasn't like he wasn't in shape. He, he seemed a little slower. His foot speed seemed a little slower. And he felt like, I think John Hines might've mentioned it earlier on in the year when he was still coaching was like, Hey, look, we need PK Subban to just like take a step back, you know, breathe in, breathe out. You're trying to do too much. And I think he put, a little too much pressure on himself. And unfortunately, he's not the same Norris Trophy defenseman, but that's not to say he still can't be effective for for the Devils moving forward. He's just going to have to make some adjustments, right? Right. So if they bring in another guy, and again, they just give him a lesser role, I think he can do better. And I think maybe this time period off gives him plenty of time to reflect on, hey, how can I be better? Because he reads all the headlines. He knows he had a poor season, you know, like his feelings are probably not going to get hurt, but he's, I know he's a passionate guy and he's going to want to get better, but you know, is he kind of loving this life of being an awesome entertainer and you know, he's got the celebrity wife and he kind of likes being in the spotlight. He's into the whole fashion scene and that entertainment world is now stronger than ever for him than in years past when he was a Norris trophy winning defenseman. So again, it's a matter of, is the is the fire is the heart and passion really still there or is it not and hopefully given this time off in my opinion maybe he'll have some time to reflect to work on certain things and hopefully the devils can can offer him some help as well because you know just because he's not a norris trophy winning defenseman anymore i get it he's still making nine million dollars is what it is i think moving forward if they can just tweak a couple things and he just finds a role with that team and just had to be more effective and you know, I think there we can still stay positive on PK, but this past season, I want to say, guys, he had seven goals, maybe eleven assists, Eesh. and like half those points came during like the last month and a half. It was a rough, it was a rough go, guys, for for PK for those first few months in Jersey. Yeah, and see, here here's the one thing about PK that I mean, from a personal perspective, and like I said, I we don't really get to watch New Jersey too often. Well, we I watch we, PK on we, Instagram. We, well, yeah, on Instagram, <laughs> but, there you but, go. but but there on on ice uh, action, 
you know, even earlier on when he was still playing with Montreal, I would watch him. And the one thing I would always criticize him about, and, and it's not even just the fact he was necessarily slow. It's just like the way he skated. Yeah, it was just it was, a lot of energy. Yeah, it, it was definitely just results. a lot different um, from what you would be seeing from a lot of other players. He, he kept his legs quite straight with it, which I mean, that might be playing to his detriment as he gets um, a little bit older and not saying that, his age is the reason why he's, you know, you know, really losing his fire, if you will. But you, you can definitely see um, within the past couple of years, especially this year, that he hasn't had that fire like you mentioned, and he hasn't been playing really his best hockey and, you know, the hockey that is deserving of what the salary that he's getting paid. Um, but moving on, we have – I have one question here about you. So with Tom Fitzgerald, um, mm-hmm. do you think – that he takes that step from going as the interim general manager, obviously becoming um, the GM after uh, the good old Ray Shiro firing in January, thank you, um, and becoming the permanent general manager of the New Jersey Devils, or do you think that they could possibly look for a, a different candidate to fill the position? Well, I'm a little, I'm a little confused, and I'm sure a lot, a lot of just people who are in general and a media member or fan were confused as well. Okay, so you fire John Hines early on in the year, and then you just hire Elaine Nazardine. So it's like, okay, it's kind of like the same voice and philosophy, most likely, and a, and a coach with no experience. And then Ray Shiro getting fired was was very surprising. I think he, you know, would he still be the GM after this season once it ended? If he wasn't anymore, it wouldn't be that surprising. But in January, very odd. And then it's like, all right, well, we're just going to give the job to his right-hand man, who's been here with him for five years, worked with him in Nashville, Yada yada, <laughs> like so. I think it's tough because you would have thought they would have just made a decision and made this pu- like public by now, since it is June, regardless of hockey coming back or not. If Tom was going to be the the full time GM, um, I I just I guess still having that interim tag has me with more questions than anything else. Same thing for Nazardine. Like you have two interim people are the face of your franchise right now. So my guess is they're probably waiting to see if they can find someone else. And if that works, it works, but maybe for some reason that it doesn't work for a GM that perhaps ownership wants. Um, so it, it's tough. I would, I would like to see Tom, you know, be the GM. I, I think I'm, I'd rather just see them have announce a coach before anything else because I think the the coach is the bigger issue here. Um, right. So it 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 is. It's a weird situation. Like when was the last time we ever saw an interim GM, an interim head coach, finish a season together? I couldn't tell you guys. And I'm golly, you know, it's it's. I don't it, think it's, that's. It's so rare that you see a general manager fired mid season unless like something egregious happened behind the scenes. I don't think that we've ever had that experience because usually the GM fires the coach and then the GM rides it through the year and then maybe ownership will fire the GM similar to what the Sabres did. But it's it's interesting because I, I don't really know who the big candidates are out there now for general manager jobs. Nobody's really getting fired that, you know, is surprising. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of up and coming guys that may be a possibility, but you know, I mean, obviously, Hey, Jason Botterill is looking for a job. I mean, yeah. just go down Which a little is a good point though, too, about Botterill is okay. So Buffalo makes this announcement. Does that maybe put some pressure on the devils to say, okay, Hey guys, like, I think it's time we, we make one too. 
Oh lord, uh-huh. they're going to so hire just, I think that was something to keep an eye on is after today's news of Botterall. I think that was one of the first things I thought of was, okay, well, we'll probably see more announcements coming out now. All you ever need in the off season is just one icebreaker. You just need one to really get everything flowing. And obviously with all the stages and every you know, stage three coming out, there's all this other stuff. But in terms of, you know, the teams that aren't playing, they, they have a voice too, Alex, they have a voice too. They do. But it just, it's great to see that they, at least, you know, something will happen, but it's interesting to see what the devils will do. But whoever does get the job, Kyle, mm-hmm. what, will they have to do in order to make this team better? Is it hiring a better coach? Is it hiring or is it bringing in better talent? I mean, obviously you have to get a selling point to even get free agents or even make trades. And you know, are, is there talent that's available that the devils can give away? I mean, what is the attractive, you know, perspective for an, a free agent to come to New Jersey? What are, what's going to be the selling point for this devil's team in order to become a better team here in the near future? Yeah, so I, th- I think it's the coach. I think the getting a different head coach in would would just benefit uh, a lot of these younger players. And just going back to like Jack Hughes, even Nico Heischer, as impressive as Nico Heischer has been, I just feel like a, a coach with the the caliber and the reputation of a guy who's he's no longer a coach in the league. But you think of a guy like Ken Hitchcock, you know, maybe it's Gerard Gallant, Peter Laviolette, guys who have walked into a situation, have worked with young players have been around all have been around the all-stars when they've gotten there, been around the mediocre guys who turned in the all-stars when they got there. So I think that type of coach, a Gerard Gallant, Peter Laviolette, maybe it's not one of them, but just someone else who has a pedigree who really has a strong background is something that the devils need. And I think it's just, it's more essential for the future of a franchise. And I'm talking, I'm just talking about Nico. He's And Jack Hughes. I think if they get a different coach in there, it's just going to take things to a whole new level. I mean, even thinking back to kind of speaking of Ray Shiro when he was in Pittsburgh. So Sidney Crosby's rookie here, the head coach was Eddie Olchuk. Oh gosh. And then I want to say eventually they bring in Michelle Terrian. So I, there's another good example. I believe it was so the Michelle, next season that he did it. Cause he then led the team to the cup in 07, 08. Yeah. Right. So that's what I'm kind of talking about is like, Aline Nazardine, you can almost kind of compare him to like Eddie Olchuk, right? It's like he never, he coached, he was like an assistant, was never a head coach before. Kind of, we wrote him out till the end of the season because we probably didn't know what we were doing. We didn't have options. And then when a guy like Michelle Terrian comes around, kind of like a old school, tougher coach who's just seen it all. Now he's going to benefit City Crosby, whether it's going to be for one year or two or three. And then, you know, they bring in a guy like Dan Dan Bilesma. So I kind of, I see some, some similarities there. And I just, I think it's so important for a guy like Jack Hughes, especially after this tough rookie year and for the growth of Nico Heeshear, Jesper Bratt. I think it's important to just have that, that coach where even a guy like PK Subban walks into the locker room. He kind of is like looking like a Lane Nazardine. Like did you, what did you just retire two years ago? Like, so there's a, there's a different presence, I think is my point if they bring in someone of that caliber and then I think they got to play the kids guys, you know, they, they've had a lot of drags since Shiro took over in 2015. Cause that's how that's as relevant as we can get back to is, is Shiro and only two players have played in 100 or more games right. out of all those players drafted. Yeah. So sorry. Yep. Oh, go ahead, Kyle. Sorry. Still there, Kyle. 
Yes. Oh, sorry. I thought you were saying something. Um, I was about to say, wouldn't it be a hilarious story? Because remember how a few years ago, there was Tortorella and Lane Vigneault. They trade spots. You know, Tortorella right. goes to Vancouver, Vigneault. Hines goes to Nashville. Laviolette comes to Jersey. That I mean, I'm, yeah, we're going to eat that up. It's a great story, and it is. It's funny. Well, because he play, I mean, he actually, in a way, helped PK move into a supporting role Laviolette did under his guidance. I mean, do you think mm-hmm. that, I mean, of course, Laviolette's always been good with veteran talent. Would he be able to coach a younger team like New Jersey? Laviolette? Yeah. I think, yeah, I think he would do fine. Again, I mean, Laviolette has been coaching since 2000. So, I mean, right off the bat, that's just that's a lot of hockey. A guy who's been, you know, an assistant with, uh, you know, Team USA in, in different roles. Um, so I think he would be able to make a, a smooth transition and just benefit and really just challenge those guys and just know how to communicate, I think, with some of the younger guys, the veteran guys. And then, hey, you know, if I'm not sold – on the free agent market this season and the upcoming off season. I just don't think, I think it benefits the players. Long story short, I think the players are really, you're going to see a lot, a lot of before any of this shutdown happened. I think we were going to see a lot of overpaid players over the next two summers because the, the free agent pool just isn't, it's not that strong. Um, but if you're the devils, you, you got to add a guy or two. I would like to see Alex Petriangelo. I know we don't need another aging defenseman, but another thing to keep in mind is, just going back to the experience factor I was talking about, and a guy like Justin Williams, the Devils don't have a single player on the roster with Stanley Cup ring. That, that, I don't that think anyone on the roster has ever played in a Stanley Cup final. Oh, PK. PK Subban, but yeah. Oh, sorry. Yep. So there you go. PK. Um, I think that's it. Yeah, it's... it's. Um, yeah, I think that's... I, so... If, you know, if you can get a guy like Alex Petriangelo, yeah, he's towards the, towards the end of his career... He's got a Stanley Cup ring. He's been an all-star. And then he can eat up some more minutes, which takes away from a guy like Severson and lessens P.K. Subban's role. And then you got a guy like Peter Laviolette. All of a sudden, it's looking a little brighter for the Devils, no? Right, yeah. That would definitely be a good move to get a veteran player like that. Just add a little bit more a little bit more experience to the Devils, which should be perfect. We've been talking with Kyle McKenna of the Hockey Writers Elite Sports New York, fan-sided and hooked on Hockey Magazine. That's how I got him. I got him on the, the Hockey Writers. It's an easy win. It's an easy grab for me. Yeah. Hey, slightly. Hey, you know, it's it's not who you, it's who you know, Alex. It's who you know and who knows you. And yeah, everyone knows each other on the Hockey Writers because Slack. Maybe we should get them to sponsor us. Slack. That'd be interesting. Maybe that'd be a great sponsor. You guys yeah, can follow. You can a good idea. Oh, that'd be awesome. You guys can follow Kyle McKenna, of course, on Twitter at k McKenna underscore lowercase t uppercase l and t the number five. Kyle, of course, thank you very much, Kyle. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Hopefully, the next time we chat, hopefully the Devils kind of have everything figured out. I mean, it'd be interesting to see if they did, but um, not quite sure if they do anytime soon. But hey, that's what hockey. That's what the best part about writing for a a, a team that's rebuilding you get to make assumptions and guess and hopefully it turns out in the end guys thanks so much really appreciate it and i'll be tuning in all right sounds good kyle we'll talk to you soon thanks guys and once again that was kyle mckenna of the hockey writers covering the hockey writers for YouTube back here at the Kewl podcast. Tyler Kewl here 
bringing you home here on the final, I guess, Cule podcast episode. I, you would think that this would be a type of deal to actually, you know, get kind of kind of somber about it, but it's really not that kind of a deal because obviously we're doing the Cule show on Monday, June the 29th, but it's always good to see, you know, good things coming out of, you know, I guess this show because we've been going on now for a little over two years. I remember our first Stanley Cup, Alex and I covered the Washington Capitals taking on the Vegas Golden Knights. And now here we are getting ready for the playoffs. And we're not quite sure if we're going to do two shows during the playoffs. It really depends on what both Alex and I's work schedule is. But we want I want to do two shows because obviously we're having that many teams play at the same time. There's going to be a lot of content. If you only do a once a week show, you're going to be kind of left to the wayside of being able to really only report on the big stuff. So with that, we'll kind of get into those details of where you can find us on 12-Ounce Sports later on in the episode before we wrap things up. But we do have some news regarding the playoffs. Of course, we talked about how Vegas was chosen as one of the hub cities and whatnot. And we did talk about how that the Canadian government was not really, I guess, allowing folks to come back into Canada without the 14-day quarantine. Now we're kind of reading and learning from different sources and different reports from different insiders is that the Canadian government is actually going to possibly kind of nix the quarantine if one of the Canadian cities is chosen to be a hub for the NHL playoffs. Now where that's going to be yet, we're not quite sure. The big three that we learned this morning here on the Kiel podcast was that it's going to be between Vancouver Edmonton and Toronto. Now, we mentioned this a little bit on Tuesday, Alex and I. Why would, with the Vegas, Las Vegas already being a hub city, why would you have another, another city in the West be a hub city? Now, I remember, I think I heard this as well as on Hockey Central the other day, too. They talked about why that would actually not work either. Because imagine having, like, once, I, once again, having so many teams play at the same time, unless you're having teams out there play at 9 a.m. in the morning, you have to fill days and days upon playoff games and two separate arenas, both in the same time zone. That's going to have a lot of crossover in time, and I get it, this is different times, but if you want the best way for the NHL to have the most viewers, the most eyes on the game, you find a way to make sure that you can fill almost every time slot on a nightly basis. So why wouldn't you want a team in the East, so this case Toronto, to be the second city? That'll be the Eastern Conference hub. Vegas be the Western Conference hub. You can have games from 4 o'clock Eastern time till 11 o'clock Eastern time, obviously with some changeover around the 9 o'clock range with the West games and the East games, but obviously you're just trying to get viewers on those. And if, of course, with the NBC Sports, the NBC Sports family, NBC, NBC Sports Network, heck, they've done games on CNBC before, USA Network, NHL Network, whatever, you have many ways to play these games live at the same time. But if you want more views on each particular game to boost those ratings, which right now is important, the fact that Major League Baseball can't get their head out of the you-know-where, this is a great opportunity for the NHL to get eyes on them. Heck, if golf can beat NASCAR, NHL can beat everybody in the ratings right now. This is a great opportunity for the NHL to persist on that. So you need to have a team in the East so folks that are leaving work or have already gotten out of work can go home sit, you know, take off their shoes, boom, hit the TV. Game one of today's playoffs, Toronto versus Columbus. And that'll carry all the way until late tonight when Vancouver takes on Minnesota. 
you have all those games at the same time. And oh, yes, we have our round robin games. Those heck can be played in the morning at these venues. At 10 a.m. today, we'll be having live coverage of Tampa playing Boston or having Philly take on Washington. And then in the West, you can have, you know, Vegas play whomever. What I'm saying is such a uh, Chicago, excuse, or, uh, excuse me, St. Louis, excuse me. Why would you not want to have the most games, the most, the biggest time block? Because if you want to have the longest range of time, you would play games in the East. You can start earlier because you can't have a four o'clock. You can't have a, a two, let's say you want to do a two o'clock round robin game for an Eastern Conference team in Edmonton. All right. So Eastern time, you'll have to do that game at, you know, let's say one o'clock. That's 11 a.m. in Mountain Times. They're in Edmonton. Now, great. That's perfect for, you know, people that are going to lunch. But say, oh, we need an 11 a.m. game in the Eastern time zone between, you know, Boston and Washington round robin game. Who's going to watch that in the West? That's a 9 a.m. game. People are still getting their Tim Hortons or their coffee, wherever they get it at, second cup, wherever they want to get it up there in Canada, or excuse me, in the West, Starbucks or Seattle's best, because Starbucks is such a big thing out there in places like Seattle, which is why I still believe they should name the team Seattle's best, because it's its own sponsor. Regardless, this is why you need to have a team out in the East, because you can have better, a more equal time frame for fans in the East and fans in the West. The games won't be ridiculously early for fans in the East, and they won't be ridiculously early for fans in the West. So that's why you want to have the biggest time frame. You can have games at 3 o'clock in the East in Toronto, and then you can have your playoff games kind of carry over into the Western games, and boom, that's your nightly base. You have hockey from 1 p.m. until midnight. Well, at least midnight was because the game's going to start as well around midnight. Because think of this way, folks. If, say, one of these playoff games going to overtime which is going to be, if I'm not mistaken, playoff overtime. You are going to have long games, which means games will get pushed back. And if you've ever gone to a minor hockey or youth hockey tournament, these games, like I remember starting games an hour after we were supposed to because the game before us took so long. So if you put all these teams in the West, guess what? It'll be the next day before you get to the final two games in the respective Eastern Western conferences. So I get it. That's going to be for TV. It's going to be a little funny, but if it's going to be like any tournament, you're going to have a game, maybe a half hour break to fix the ice, warm-ups game, half hour to fix the ice, warm-ups game. You need to have, in terms of TV, I'm trying to actually help NBC here. If you guys remember a couple of years ago, we had a nice little brouhaha about you know me bashing NBC. I'm trying to help because obviously the NHL is trying to keep NBC or even if the NHL is not trying to you know, keep NBC after this television agreement is up and they want to move to ESPN, you want the best ratings for now. So if you want to have the best ratings for now, put those games in the East in the Eastern Conference that are in the Eastern time zone in Toronto. Keep the games in the West in Vegas, which is, I believe, still in mountain time. So there you go. I'm not saying I'm the genius here, but East in the East, West in the West. Oh my gosh, I'm the best. I can't believe I just rhymed there. I am proud of myself. Regardless, it's it's for the better if you have the you know two separate time zones. You don't want to have them too close together because then you'll have you'll have a more of a widespread schedule on television. Now, obviously, we can talk about the Stanley Cup hub and where that would be at. Obviously, you'd want it. So I think it'd be better to have it somewhere else, but that's not for me to decide. That's the NHL's decision. So it'd be interesting to see 
what they choose to do because it's going to be a great time and I'm still interested to see what's going to happen. Now, granted, this is still a possibility that the the NHL may not come back because obviously there's spikes going everywhere right now of the coronavirus. Michigan, as of right now, as a knock on wood, is still not one of the big spikes yet, but it's going to happen. I mean, come on. You've seen, if you've been in Michigan, you see how people are outside, they're in the malls and everything and buying a bunch of stuff. It's, it's destined to happen. I drove out at 10 o'clock this morning to go to breakfast. I can tell you, and I, by going to breakfast, I mean, go to get my Tim Hortons at the drive-thru. I don't actually go to restaurants right now. It looks like it's a three o'clock traffic jam, just miserable tr- driving conditions. That's because everyone is out and about. Now, it is interesting because the Tampa Bay Lightning, as I'm literally recording this, have closed down their facilities because multiple players and some staff have tested positive for COVID-19. I love Twitter. Thank you, Mr. Bob McKenzie. So this was a great start to the day. And this is awesome. So thankfully, we have our good friends at Not at Not Thrashers, the fake Atlanta Thrashers account saying, don't worry, it's just us. Because Atlanta, the state of Georgia for that matter, has had quite the spike over the last couple of days. Elliot Freeman just tweeted just 29 seconds ago, because I'm now talking at 1.33 Eastern Standard Time. We'll have a better idea of scope and impact over the next few days. Lightning players and staffers in the region will undergo multiple tests to determine how widespread this is or isn't. And of course, a lot of people, especially our good friends at World Hockey Report, retweeting the Alex Kalorn video that of how the Tampa Bay Lightning all got together when they found out that they were going to be able to play again with them riding the jet skis in Tampa Bay. And oh boy. This is why, folks, you don't want to post videos about cool stuff and then have it just come back to backfire you. Oh, boy. So, the NHL is still going to come back. This is good times. I I really don't know what to say at this point now because I feel like I just went on and on about how Toronto should be the next big place and whatnot and how they should be the hub. And now I'm just speaking all that for nothing. And this is why we are not even getting close to even talking about the playoff matchups yet, because until I hear stage five is set and people have already reported to these hubs, I'm not even going to bother giving it the light of day. Now, yes, when we talk to people on the hockey writers or SB Nation, whoever we bring in, yeah, you want to get their take because, well, they're the, they are the insiders. They are the ones who specialize with these teams, so they would know matchups better than we would here on the Kiel Podcast. That said... We're not going to make our picks well until probably August, if that's even going to happen now. I mean, I'm not saying this. This is not the death nail for the NHL playoffs. This is not, you know, oh, well, it's not going to happen. Even though it is, yes, multiple people that have been tested and been tested positive for COVID-19. Of course, we talked about last show, how Ezekiel Elliott, multiple Houston Texans, those guys are all getting positive results as well. Now, asymptomatic or not, they have it. So, what does this mean? I don't know. As Elliot, as I just reported, Elliot Freeman said, we're going to have to wait a few days to hear anything. The Apparently, according to Frank Saravelli, or excuse me, from Matt Gelb, that Frank Saravelli retweeted, Matt Gelb, beat writer for the Athletic Philadelphia, covering the Philadelphia Phillies, is that the Phillies have also had an outbreak 
of COVID-19 of five players and three staffers. Boy, I'm sure Washington Nationals fans don't hope it's Bryce Harper. Regardless, COVID-19, it ain't gone yet, guys. Despite what everyone thought when everyone's like, hey, the numbers are down. It's great. We can go outside. Listen, it's not going to go away anytime soon, but we're still going to hope and pray that there's an NHL season, which is why I went through the whole schmeal that the NHL is going to be in Toronto for the playoffs because you would think Eastern and Western time zone. But now, as I literally just say this, I feel like my words are just mush and nothing. And this is literally as we're doing this live, which is just great for my boost of confidence. Hey, makes me, is that making me a reporter now? Does that make me legit? I don't know if this makes me legit or not, because I will say, as I'm speaking right now, the part you just heard where I was talking about, you know, feeling confident or whatever, that was recorded at around 1.30 Eastern Standard Time. It is now 6.45 Eastern Time. The wife has gone off to work, so I have time to yell a little bit. Because as reported a couple hours ago, here on Friday, June the 19th, yes, I know you're listening to this on Tuesday or Wednesday, but recorded on Friday. It's a good thing I didn't post yet because there has been a confirmation that Austin Matthews has reportedly been tested and the test has been proved positive that he has COVID-19. So... At, are we at that point? Actually, no, before I get to the should the season be over deal, unless Austin Matthews gave consent, who in the hell reported this? As someone who has worked in the medical field as myself and my wife, who I did talk about this before, it is a straight HIPAA violation. For those that don't know about HIPAA, that is pretty much patient confidentiality which would include Austin Matthews' positive case of COVID-19. We mentioned how, earlier on when I recorded, the Tampa Bay Lightning, how their players tested positive, and apparently some Arizona Coyotes members. Shockingly enough, Austin Matthews, Frederick Anderson, both in Arizona at this time, all tested positive for COVID-19. Now, yes, the Tampa Bay Lightning came out with a statement saying that the folks, that the players and staff of Tampa Bay were asymptomatic, just running a low fever. But nonetheless, you didn't hear, oh, Steven Stamkos. Oh, it's, you know, Nikita Kucherov or Andre Vasilevsky. Those guys, they're, they're the ones that, you know, you know, Saranac, those guys. I, I just, they're not naming names because that's confidentiality. I want Austin Matthews to come out and say something here. As of right now, at this time I record this part of the podcast, nothing has happened yet. Nothing has been reported yet. Nothing has been confirmed. But I can tell you right now, I don't know what's supposed to happen. Now, the Toronto Blue Jays have shut down their Dunedin ballpark, their, their facilities down there, because of outbreaks within the organization. And despite the rising cases in Florida, the Raptors are being reported just a few minutes ago by Sportsnet that they will be still planned to begin training in Orlando, which I have to remind people that the NBA and Major League Soccer are both going to be down in Orlando at Disney World to per, to have their season, NBA to finish their season, MLS to have theirs, their World Cup-style tournament. Yet Florida is the worst outbreak of the second wave of COVID-19 right now. 
And you know what, guys? Crazy enough. Now, I'll be honest. When I first heard the Austin Matthews report, I thought, well, you can't do it in Toronto. But then I reminded myself that Austin Matthews and Freddie were still down in Arizona. As far as I know, that Frederick was still down there as well with Austin because they had been living together down in the southwest portion of the United States. That said, how can you consider resumption of the season when now you're re- all these cases are coming out? I, I mean, yes, they are playing Premier League right now in England. Yes, they are playing Bundesliga in Germany. However, at what point do we say, all right, maybe we should just cancel the rest of the year? And I, I'm not going to get into, oh, they're asymptomatic and they, you know, they won't pass it on to each other. We don't know, okay? All I know is that all these athletes are getting this coronavirus. How can we be sure that it won't be, you know, have a negative effect on them? There was a golfer I heard earlier today. I'm not, I can't quite think of who it was, but um, actually I have a second here. Why don't I just quick look it up? Let's see here. Uh, Nick Watney or Watney, Watney, Watney or Watney, W-A-T-N-E-Y. First PGA Tour golfer to test positive for COVID-19. And that was him withdrawing from the RBC Heritage Tournament. That is the guy that was pulled from the tournament. And a lot of the analysts said that during practice this week that they said he looked a little off. So... I guess that maybe the COVID actually negatively affecting him. I don't know. But what I can tell you all folks here today is that somebody needs to say something. Are we, are we going to go for it and just going to play with sick people? And as I've kind of, you know, half-heartedly said, I'm like, we have to kind of, you know, in order to actually get over a disease like the flu, you actually have to get it into your system. Now, yes, there's the word is that this is a mutating disease, but are we just going to have to fight through it? And put players at risk? Or are we just going to call it all together, cancel everything, and hope for the best? Because clearly the United States just doesn't care. Canada, I don't, I don't know how it is in Canada right now, but the U.S., it's popping up everywhere again. Because people are out and about, you know, mingling with each other, going to the stores, going to bars, whatnot. I know it's starting to come back in Canada as well. I haven't heard any of the cases up there. But my, my question is this. At what point do you just say, we have to go through with it? Or do you just just cancel the rest of the season? Whether it be NHL, NBA, MLS, what have you, MLB. Well, MLB's, MLB's not going to play. It's just because they're all annoying. Both the you know owners, players, I don't know who you want to blame in that. I haven't. There's a reason why we're not a total baseball podcast, because I'd probably have an idea of what to say about it, but... Let's put it this way. Rob Manfred is looking, making Gary Bettman and Roger Goodell look like the two best commissioners in the history of athletics. Regardless, I, I don't know what the, actual, what the play is here by the NHL. Granted, this is all coming out as we speak. This is Friday. I will be, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm going to come back Tuesday for my vacation. have to do a quick recording bit here, which you may end up hearing in this episode. Probably, I don't know if at the end of the outro or what, reporting on what happened, what the league decided to decide on 
over the weekend because this is not like something, oh, it can wait till Monday. Oh, it can wait until the next business day. Nope, we got to get it done now because this is clearly a bigger deal than we've ever experienced because we all thought literally until this morning, until this morning, everybody, that the NHL was on its way to coming back. Hey, all right, stage three in less than a month now. Here we go. We're in the home stretch, everybody. Training camps, then it'll be reporting to hubs, then it'll be games. At this point, ladies and gentlemen, I can't tell you if any of it is true at this point. I can't tell you if the NHL is going to come back, if they're going to cancel, if they're going to you know, go for it and risk it. I can't tell you what they're going to do. All we can do right now is sit and wait and hope for the best, whether that be a resumption of the playoffs or the cancellation of the 2019-2020, the remainder of the 2019-2020 season. I would not, this is where I, I always say I have great ideas for the game. This is where I will sit right now and tell you folks, this is why I do not want to run my own sports league because times like this, I would not know what to do. Would I cancel the season? Maybe. Does that seem like the best decision financially? No, that's what, that's the reason why the NHL is coming back. Had the league not been in fear of a financial suffering, they would have just canceled the season. But the amount of revenue this league would lose is what brings them back. And it looked like, with all intents and purposes, positive signs to have an actual season resumption because of the low numbers of the cases of coronavirus and whatnot. Now we've seen them come back up, and now we are going to experience something that we haven't seen before, and that is the complete roller coaster ride of a will-they-won't-they here in the Stanley Cup playoffs, if we have a Stanley Cup playoffs. We'll be, we'll just have to wait and see, folks. So now with that, after I reported my Austin Matthews deal, as far as I know, my Twitter in the last couple minutes that I have, yeah, I I agree with Sid Tixero. He just tweeted out saying, I need a drink. I'm probably going to go have one myself. But as we wait right now, we only can sit, wait, and tell to see if we're going to have a 2020 playoffs, and I I don't know anymore. Boy, do I hope so. Boy, do I hope so. Let's get into the, the good part, the fun talk about this show. Of course, as we wrap things up here on this rather short episode of the Kiel Podcast, because this we should have a shorter show. Because for the next week until the end of time, we're going to have two and a half hour shows. Well, okay. We're going to be live 6 to 8.30, Every Monday, sorry, next Monday, the 29th, and which is good because, hey, it gives us plenty of time to talk hockey, all the good stuff, do our interviews, and then some. But now that doesn't mean we're going to go the full two and a half hours. Some weeks will be less hockey, especially when the offseason really does kickstart. We may only do two-hour shows, hour-and-a-half shows similar to this one. But we give us ourselves two and a half hours because, as some of you know, Alex and I can get a little heated and we get start going at each other and like our mascot talk on Tuesday where it just completely went off the rails. We like to do that sometimes. So we'll obviously give us two and a half hour time frame. Next week, we'll definitely probably get the two and a half hour time frame because I am pleased to announce our big guest on that Monday. We, of course, we're going to have Harrison Watt on from Ferris State. We'll be talking about the new Central Collegiate Hockey Association next week. But the big one, at least for me and probably for Alex as well, and for any of you Detroit Red Wings fans, 
Ken Cal, the radio play-by-play broadcaster, longtime radio play-by-play broadcaster and honorary member of the Hockey Hall of Fame, will be live on the QL show with us next week, 6.30. We, have, we plan to have Ken on the show. Probably be talking about a little bit about this current Red Wings team and talk a little bit about the past as well, because I'm sure you Red Wings fans would love to talk about the past, because around this time, back when I was a kid, you know, 97, 98, 08, and 02, People were celebrating about the Red Wings because they'd won the cup or they had a good playoff run and yada, yada, yada. So we'll definitely talk about that with Ken for sure. You can find us on 12 Ounce Sports Network, which includes their 12 Ounce Sports YouTube page, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, and Zingo TV. Now, if you guys don't remember on Tuesday, we talked about Zingo. Zingo, a TV app you can find on Google, Apple TV, Amazon, Fire Stick, and Roku. It's an app that you download and 12 Ounce Sports helps you out. Most people have to pay to get on there, but if you use the promo code 12 ounce, which is 12 0 12 0 12 O, the letter O, Z or Z for all of you Americans, use that promo code to sign up for free. Jump on channel 761, which is 12 ounce sports network, and you can catch us live. So you can put us on the big screen or if I mean if you have the YouTube app, you can just do it that way or just cast us on your big TV. Heck, you know what? Grab your projector, get a big wall or a big inflatable screen and throw us on there. Have the neighborhood all get together, social distancing, of course, and watch us every Monday, 6 to 8.30. And of course, we will be sure to also record the audio from those episodes and we'll still put them up on our Cool Show podcatchers, which is, still includes Google Podcast, Apple Podcast. I'm pretty sure we're still on iHeartRadio, Spotify, still TuneIn Radio for some reason, but we'll still be on the web for you podcast listeners so you can still catch us our audio recordings of that, but we just want to go live because we like to report on the fly. It's kind of fun and interesting, which means I'm going to somehow have to find a way to get Alex not to swear because I won't be able to fix that when we go live because I don't quite have the equipment for the beat button yet. I'll probably just have to use them, you know, just my good old smack button, just smack or something or make a loud screaming noise so you don't hear them. But nonetheless, it's going to be fun. It's going to be great. Also, you'll be able to catch the replays of our live episodes, our video episodes, on our own YouTube channel, along with the 12 Ounce Sports Network, our own YouTube channel, at The Kula Show on YouTube. You'll be able to catch us there. And we plan to do a lot of, you know, special videos with certain guests and, you know, certain features with certain players and people around the area that we can try to get on because we're interested. We want to be, we want to do more. And of course, you can catch us on Instagram. We're probably going to be doing Instagram live next Monday, the 29th, because... We want to get your questions beforehand. And we'll also create a nice hashtag, AskTKS. You can ask us questions that we'll answer on the show. So a lot of opportunities to get involved with the show. But if you want to get involved with this episode, use the hashtag, The Cule Podcast, hashtag TKP, at The Cule Show on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I think that was it for the social media for now. But nonetheless, hopefully that is it for my, my me trying to remember what is going on? If you hear people in the background, it's because my wife has kindly decided to interrupt everything. I have my my quote unquote IT director here, <laughs> my uh, my personal IT guy Hunter, who has done a thing that I can't say yet, or has done sort of a thing that I can't say yet. Nothing. No, it's 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 the it's the thing that I can't say because Kelly, don't for, I didn't buy anything. I'm, it's what it's what Hunter thing that Hunter... Okay, Kelly, this is going to come out before that happens, so I can't say what Hunter has done. Does that make sense? <laughs> Ashley does listen to the show, does he? Don't, don't you dare. Don't tell, don't tell her to now. 
because now I almost, well, anyways, stuff and things. Once again, another outro goes off the rails here at the Cule Podcast. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of the Cule Podcast. We will see you on Monday the 29th, live on 12 Out Sports Network, the Cule Show. It's coming. Goodbye.